Good morning again. It's good to be back with you after a couple weeks kind of being out and about. Uh, those couple weeks have been packed, full of a lot of different things, a lot of business types of things, a lot of time spent with family. It was, it was good to visit with them and spend some time with them. Um, frequently I would check back and look at the weather here. And it was just interesting to me, the different polarizations of mid to high 90s here to humid to mid 80s there and raining every day, getting three to four inches at a time and knowing how much we needed that rain here and they just want to give it away and, and all that. The differences, the polarizations that we can experience in this life can be extreme at times. Um, and, and, you know, through the last couple of weeks, the Lord has laid some different things on my, in my heart and mind. And this, this week I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to step away from the normal sermon series for a, for a little bit. Um, and we're going to read a different portion of Scripture. Um, I'm going to read in Acts chapter 15. I'm going to read beginning in verse 11. Is that right? Nope, I'm going to begin in verse 6. I wrote that down wrong for some reason. Beginning in verse 6, in chapter 15 of the book of Acts. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after the, there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore... Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that there that sorry, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has, now, has related now how God had first visited Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild, rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, and the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Father, as we reference this passage today, I just hope that you would open up our hearts and minds to something a little bit different. 
that you would allow us to engage, that you would allow us to communicate and articulate things clearly um, in our understandings and in our beliefs, and that you would help us to uh, grow as we grow in you, as we abide in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, I would like to use this passage as an example this morning. It's not something that we're going to walk through. Um, I have provided for you a printout that is by the bulletins. If you did not get one, make your way there now and you can get one. Um, and we're going to kind of walk through a little bit um, as an example of what happened at General Council. Um, using this passage as a reference. As I was in prayer and spending some time um, about counsel, the Lord led me to Acts. And as I was reading through all of the book of Acts this past week, um, you're just astonished at the early church and how they went about doing things. So in that same type of effort, I want to kind of relate to you and communicate and articulate what's been going on within the denomination. Everybody's so patient and in line. But you know, most, most councils, um, a report would be given back to the elders or to the, the governing board. Uh, many years, things of no consequence happen. There's good times of refreshment. Uh, there's wonderful stories every year about missions and, and things like that. But there's been some conversations going around in the Alliance that I thought it'd be good for us to kind of talk about so that we can be on the same page and know what's um, been discussed. There's some areas of changes that we can continue to be in prayer about. Um, you know, as you talk to the elders or as you talk to me about things, there's going to be discussions and roundtables coming up as well um, in the next couple of years that hopefully I'll be able to attend. So there's going to be some changes moving forward, some dialogue that's going to be happening, and I want us all to be a part of that. Um, so as, as I come out of council, um, initially my thoughts were very positive. Um, going into it, I was a little nervous, I was a little anxious, because some of the issues that they were going to talk about were hot-button issues. They were hard topics to discuss. But I think that it was handled well. I thought that it was handled in a very healthy way. And that was very encouraging to me. And as I said, as I went to Acts 15 for today, I see this same type of um, attitude and heart being laid out as they too discussed different things. I believe it's in Acts 11 where there's a different, um, there's a different section where Peter is describing to the council what happened with Cornelius. And it describes... Um, a circumcision party or a circumcision faction. So even within the early church, you had divisions, you had groups that believed different things uh, of how life should be lived. You look within this body, we have, you know, some days we have 80, 90 people in here. All of us have the same tier one beliefs, but we might have different nuances, we might have different interpretations about how things are lived out. But yet we still worship together. And it was wonderful to be in the most packed council that I've ever been to, over 2,000 people present, and then another 800 online. Uh, 
God, to see people interacting, to see people debating, to see people pursuing Scripture in the way that it, in the way that it was. And it was very encouraging to me to see that. I was reminded at council that the Alliance is not just a sending denomination, but we're also about the deeper life, the spirit-filled life, seeing different things that have taken place. Sometimes I recognize when we get into patterns in life that we take the easy road, the path of least resistance, and we get set into these routines and we don't challenge ourselves in different ways. We become complacent in our faith. And I realized that that was kind of happening in my life as a pastor as well. That where I can quickly fall into these routines and before I know it, weeks and months pass by. It's hard to believe next week will mark the four-year anniversary that I've been here. Lots happened in that time. Usually around year four is when pastors begin to make changes. Year five is usually when they leave that church for somewhere else because of those changes. You know, as we look to the future, there's different vision, there's different mission that I have in mind, areas that I think that we need to be pushed to grow as the Spirit has led me in my prayer time. You know, and I'm praying that the Spirit is going to move us in those directions. As your, as your pastor, I do take responsibility for the attitudes, for the hearts of how I shepherd you. Um, and there's, there's a lot of areas that I need to grow in as well when it comes to that, especially if I'm fostering an attitude of complacency or of consumerism. So I'd like to go through some of these changes with you. The first one is kind of, the first couple are pretty easy if you're looking on the packet. Um, it starts off with showing how they are in process of moving the national office from Colorado Springs to Columbus, Ohio. Now, I had no sway in that, so don't think ill of me for that. Um, but, you know, the website has different information as well, and this was given in the president's report. So I only printed off like three of the sections of the president's report. The whole report is 170 pages. If you want to go online, you can download that and read through that at your leisure. Uh, but I pulled out some of the important things that I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, the sentiment behind the move was for missional engagement. You know, a lot of the staff, a lot of the leadership had felt that they were in a locked area in Colorado Springs where everybody on staff could essentially go the entire week without interacting with a lost person. They were using a building that was losing or not using $8 million worth of unused space. So they wanted to be more fiscally responsible. And as they've pursued this in this past year, things have just fallen into place and moved very quickly, a lot quicker than they thought that they would. They're going to be moving into an area that is high in refugee population. It is more diverse. It is centralized within a community, not separated off into a suburb area like a business park where they're not going to interact with anyone. So they're very excited about doing that. They were able to get some grants from Ohio to help um, move some of the staff. Now, there will be uh, no Great Commission money or long-term debt uh, pursued for this move. Uh, they, in the first two phases, they had some generous donors through state giving and things like that that helped to move 
uh, and get the process rolling. Currently, they're in phase three, which is acquiring some of the surrounding buildings or properties as well so that they can have that entire block. So that's moving along nicely. Continue to pray uh, for the staff, pray for the impact for that move. Now, this is probably the third or fourth time the national office has moved. It started in New York City. I don't remember the second place, but then it went to Colorado Springs, and now it's going to be in Reynoldsburg, Ohio, suburb of Columbus. They also said um, within an eight-hour drive is 80% of the churches within the United States. So it's going to be a lot more uh, it's going to be easier for people to get there for different trainings, for different conferences, and things like that. So logistically, it makes a little bit more sense as well. So again, being prepared or be in prayer for that. Um, the next easy announcement is every three years, the Alliance holds a youth conference called Life. It is a time where high schoolers get together. They go to worship Jesus. They go to serve a community wherever it's going to be located. They go through workshops where they're equipped. They hear main session speakers, and they have a lot of breakout times with, with me um, to process the things that are going on. The last one was in 2019, so it's, already it's hard to believe that it's already been three years. But next summer, they will be holding the Life Conference in Orlando, Florida. Um, we were planning to go to the last one. However, when we started planning that was in the fall of 2018. And that was when Elaine was diagnosed. So things kind of got put on the back burner for that. Um, so I would hope, I would like to put together some plans for next summer. Teens, if you are interested in that kind of thing. Uh, just speak to me. Uh, it is expensive. There's no getting around that. So I'm hoping that there will also be some, some chaperones that would go as well to help planning, to help um, investing in the teens, to help with fundraising ideas and stuff like that. Again, that's going to be next July in Orlando, Florida. Around that same time, in the fall of 2018, we had also started making plans for missions trips. It was something that I had identified as kind of a need that we needed to get back into as a church body. Um, and we started planning things, and again, Elaine was diagnosed at the same time Amelia was relapsing as well. So things kind of just fell through the cracks yet again. And nobody was there to, to pick up that mantle. Um, one of the joys that I have every council is listening to the missionary stories. It is so amazing to see what God is doing around the world. And I'm in the process of rounding up some, some videos and some of those stories to share with us more frequently on Sunday mornings. Because I think that sometimes we can get disconnected with what's going on around the world, with what's going on with the gospel message moving forward when we get so focused and in our routines. God is an awesome God, and there's some great things happening around the world. And I got in touch with a few different people to point me to the right direction, in the right direction to find some of these resources so that I can share with you guys. But, you know, as we have been, as we've been going through the last couple of years, 
I've tried in the past to start up different initiatives. I've asked certain people to see if they would be able to take on being a missions coordinator or being somebody that could give some different announcements or champion some of our missionaries. I've asked for district or not district from newsletters from some of the missionaries that have visited us. You know, few and far between would be that communication. So it's just hard to stay uh, on the current news with what's going on if it's just me doing this. So my hope and my desire is that there would be somebody that would have that passion to want to organize these types of things. My goal, again, is within the next couple of years to go on a missions trip as a body within the states, within the next five to seven years, perhaps visiting a partner overseas in the field, whatever it might look like. Uh, we've got some empty wall space back there. I'd love to fill it up with some more flags because we are a giving church and we are a sending church, and we need to keep that in the forefront of our minds what the gospel message means to us and what we are to do with that. You know, I was able to hear so many different stories um, this, or two weeks ago now. There was a couple that was kicked out of a country uh, 10 years ago, and they just got word that they're going to be able to get back in this year after 10 years, and they're taking a team with them. You know, a lot of our missionaries work in closed access countries, so they're not allowed to be on videos. They're not allowed to have their names said. Um, you can't take their pictures because of the hardships that it might cause for them in, their, in the countries that they're serving. I was able to watch a video about refugee camps that were in Bangladesh. That's just jaw-dropping. Refugees of more than a million people in one camp. Things that are happening in Cambodia, Vietnam, Spain, Latin America. Things that just get you on fire for God to see how he is moving. They were able to commission 50 uh, missionaries at council to be sent out in this next year to the field. The Latin American branch of the CMA reported that they had sent out 63 missionaries in the last three years. So there's a lot of wonderful things going on through the gospel advancement. And sometimes we can just, you know, get stuck within these four walls and think that this is all there is. The world is so big, and God is so big and so mighty. It is so awesome to see what he has been doing. So again, my desire is that as a church we would be ready to go if we are called to go and not just come to congregate. You know, we are all ambassadors. We are all ministers. And the goal of church is to equip you so that you can go out and, and witness for Christ, to spread that gospel message. So we need to raise up those disciples with the purpose of sending rather than just staying. Understanding what that might mean for our worship team or some of our other needs, you know, as another plug, Emily's going to be graduating next year. It would be nice if she stayed and played for 40 years. But it would also be nice if others shared some of their musical gifts as well. So it gives us an opportunity. Talking about missions, this will be uh, the opportunity to bring in the first big change that was discussed at this council. And that is the funding structure within the Great Commission Fund. 
Um, there's about six or seven different branches or arms within the alliance that you could donate to. Um, and it was just kind of confusing with how the structure was um, being organized and how monies were being separated and divvied out. Uh, normally, people would give to the Great Commission Fund. That is where your, a lot of your general giving goes, and that's where a lot of the general giving is pu pulled out to support missionaries, to support different people. But we also have other ministries, such as Kama, which is the relief arm that helps in disasters, Envision that sets up different sites um, across the world, Access Countries, Marketplace Ministries, um, let me see if I got them all here. And there's a couple others, or just um, to the in international workers directly. Over the years, as these different things have popped up, it's been, again, more confusing in terms of how things have been allocated. So there's a few videos that you can watch. I listed in my chicken scratch, if you can read it, on the bottom of page 13 in the proposal that kind of explain how they're going to be breaking out the Great Commission Fund, where everything is just going to be kind of lumped together. And they're going to be breaking things out a little bit differently. Um, things that I learned that I didn't know. I had always assumed that through the Great Commission Fund that our missionaries were fully supported. That was not the truth. Missionaries continued to ask for support. They had work accounts, which if you remember Noe and Kyla Hernandez, they mentioned something about that when they were here. But they would have work accounts that would cover specific things in their ministry. So again, you can go to that website and you can watch those videos. The one video is 19 minutes long. That's why we're not watching that during this time. Um, but again, it goes through all of the changes in the GCF and what it's going to cover. Um, how it's going to cover specific things within the ministries while asking the missionaries as well to raise a certain level of support. Now, for some missionaries, it's easy to raise support or they get some generous donors and they can get a lot more money that way. For some missionaries, they work in the marketplace, so they have a job while they're over there, so they get income that way. What this is going to do is it's going to balance out what everybody's going to be getting. In terms of if you may have a good job over here and you're making a lot of money, you're not going to draw as much from the Great Commission Fund. It might cover your insurance. It might cover your kid's education. But if you're in an area where you can't get out and you can't get support as well, um, more of your salary could be taken from the Great Commission Fund. So, again, it's, it's designed to balance things out to make things a little bit easier for our missionaries, while at the same time opening up different opportunities for churches who like to support individuals, an opportunity to partner with individual missionaries. You know, this church has always done those types of things. We love to do that kind of thing. So over the next six, seven months, I'm going to try to get a few more missionaries in here to see if there's some other people that we can partner with. Um, different organizations, different uh, people that maybe we could then go and visit in the field one day. But again, with everything um, that I've said so far with missions, with the Great Commission Fund, um, basically, as I see these changes, you know, as I look at the conviction that the Spirit has given me in terms of the emphasis on missions, some of the things within the vision are going to be changing. Some of the emphasis needs to change. But we're not looking so much inward, but we're looking outward as well. 
Um, and I think the biggest thing is just kind of getting in there, out there and serving, putting those opportunities before us as a body. So again, if you have those types of administrative and logistical gifts and you feel the Lord calling you to serve in that area, please see me. would love to, to set some things up. Now, shifting gears to one of the biggest things that was looked at during this year's council was the statement of faith. This was done, uh, this was done as part of the president's report, which again is on the website if you want to download it. Um, as you can see, some of these proposals, it's written in a specific type of language. There's 11 different sections to our statement of faith. And in each of the headings, it, like a 3.10, it would give what is written, what the proposed change is. If it adds words, it's in bold. If it takes words out, it's struck through. And then how the new section would read. Okay, that's how you would understand um, the proposals that are being offered to the floor. Um, these changes originated from Zoom discussions that we're, we were going to be doing roundtables to discuss other issues, um, and then the pandemic happened, so everything had to be changed to Zoom. And as certain things were said, it was decided we need to look at our statement of faith to kind of update some of the language and those types of things. Originally, I think it just started with one or two, and then by the end of all of the roundtables, all of them had something addressed to it to update some of the language, to change around some of the format, so forth and so on. With any types of changes that would happen to the statement of faith, it would need two councils to go through. So it's not something that is changed on a dime. It's not something that is changed quickly. Um, but because of other business and a shortened week, we didn't get through the entire statement of faith. We got through eight of the 11. So the last three we were not able to get to. Six of the pro proposed changes passed with the approval of two-thirds of the quorum. So that's two-thirds of those that were there plus those that were online. You would need that in order to, to pass. And what happens now is it would then go to the next council to be ratified verbatim. And if it, that happens, then that would change the language within the statement of faith, okay? So, um, let's see here. Those that failed, so there was two that failed and three that we didn't get to. They could go back to the committees to be pursued, to pursue some of the changes that were mentioned from the floor, or they could just be dropped. It would be up to the president to bring that forward. Um, the president had said that it's not something that was going to be belabored, like we're going to keep doing this until we get it updated or passed. It was going to be a straight up or down type of vote where you can discuss it, you could debate it, but there wasn't going to be amendments that were presented or anything like that. It was just either going to be a yes or no. What do you think of this language? The language from the various roundtables were inputted into these discussions, from these discussions. It then went through the theological committee, went through the rules committee. It was then debated between a committee of 26 people before it got to the floor at general council, again, with 2,000 people present. It went through many doors in order to get to that floor. Now, again, as I said, amendments were not allowed from the floor, um, and that was a voted on thing that 
people decided, yep, we don't want to do that. But it did bring in confusion because some people wanted the ability to amend what was written. Um, but I like the up and down vote because when you're in a room of this size, you can make some amendments okay. But if you're in a room of 2,000 people that think, I think it should say for, no, I think it should say but, it can get, oh, what's the good word for it? It can get exhausting when you're going through that type of thing. And there was definite times when people were exhausted going through this. We did have to extend the business session in an hour to try to get through some of them. Um, again, with all the opinions and the semantics and the word order, it could take forever to get through, which is why they just wanted a straight up or down vote. And then they would look at different things as they went through it. So I wanted to talk about two of them that did not pass. So if you turn to 3.12, kind of on two separate pages there. Um, so the first few passed. Again, some of the changes simply updated language from man's salvation to our salvation, or they moved the scriptures up to where they're making the points and things like that. But even as you go through this, I'm putting this in your hands so that you can give feedback as well. Um, talk to your elders. Talk to me. Um, because nothing is a done deal yet. It still has to go to the next council to be ratified as well. So, but 3.12, um, you know, not being able to understand everybody's rationale for why they, they didn't vote one way or the other, I can share with you some of the things that were brought up in terms of why this was voted down. First good point that I thought was in the first line it says originally, even as in the original, uh, text of the statement of faith, it says originally. And someone, you know, who said, I mean, if I could make an amendment, this is what I would take out. Because what that term originally spoke to him as is sometimes people can trip up and say that only Adam and Eve were originally created in the image of God and not everyone else. And that becomes a tripping point for some people when we're trying to evangelize, especially with people that struggle with self-worth. You know, we, we deal with a lot of these types of mental issues that people are struggling through today, and it makes it difficult. So he wanted that to be brought out. But the main issue that people had was with what was taken out of this section. So if you're on page 153, you see the struck out portions. The portion of the impenitent and the unbelieving is existence forever in conscious torment, and that of the believer in everlasting joy and bliss. People argued that it was struck out because of redundancy, because it mentions it later in 3.17. Yes, 3.17. But people argued that because even if it is redundant, it should still be right next to the issue of sin so that people can connect the punishment of sin and understand the seriousness of it. And it caused enough doubt in people's minds to turn this one down. Okay, so again with some of these heavier things, I was very encouraged by the level of debate and the ability or the desire just to move slowly with things, not to make changes too quickly or rashly. 
in uh, 3.14, so at the bottom of page 153 and really just on the next page, I guess. This is more so the statements discussing sanctification. Now, I actually had to step out of the room uh, for part of this debate. I hear it was lively. Um, I hear people spoke their full 10 minutes of what they're allotted. I hear that they brought in Greek and everything else to discuss some of these terms. Um, again, these, when you have heavy topics like this, it is a lot to sift through. In terms of the order, in terms of the wording, those types of things are very important to people. Uh, but again, with, with the debate, it was handled well. Um, you know, people, again, wanted to slow down with some of these bigger topics. And, I, and because of this one, which everyone knew, this one and then the last one in terms of premillennial would be the ones that were going to be most challenged. Um, they extended the business session an hour so that we could get through this one. Um, but again, to me, I thought that it was healthy in terms of how they went through it. Uh, we did get through the next one, and then the last three we didn't get a chance to get to. So again, that would possibly be tabled until the next council if the president wants to put, bring that forward. Um, and again, when you talk about big issues like this, there can be conflict. There could be hardships. There can be misunderstandings. There could be polarizations. And this is kind of what I was anxious about as I was coming into this because I didn't know how things would be handled and I didn't know what would be said. And the primary reason for that is because of the next topic, a topic that was not debated at this council, and that is the issue concerning polity, women in ministry. Now, as I say that phrase, where does your mind go? It's a loaded phrase. Generally, people will think senior pastor. You know, and you begin to get polarized just through making assumptions, just through that phrase, women in ministry. It is a hot-button issue, for sure, within the nation, within our communities, and, yes, within our denomination. You could be thinking, well, is this really a big issue? To some, yes, it absolutely is. And the mention of this topic makes us think of other denominations, the routes that they have taken, and the polarizing conversations that surround it. In the past year, this is what the roundtable discussions were to discuss. That's how it got started. Then there was a face group, book group for pastors and international workers, where we had to put a moratorium on the topic because of how things were being debated and argued. These are pastors who are arguing these points on a Saturday night. It breaks my heart that the enemy would divide and put such division, such dissension, such anger and animosity, even in a group of pastors. The basis of the discussions around this topic was just that. A discussion. There was no nothing that was going to be changed right away. The discussion was to clear up language within our bylaws that was confusing. 
The intent was to bring up the topic. But of course, it can also open up a can of worms, which it has done. So let's start this morning with the understanding of the can of worms. Basically, there are two camps that are divided within the Christian church at large, egalitarians and complementarians. Both are concepts that try to summarize biblical beliefs, similar to the concept of the Trinity. All three of those types of words are not found in the Bible, but through a collection of scripture, understanding is reached. Complementarians. They believe that male and female are equal, but have different roles, complementing each other into a whole. This term stems from the word complement, meaning to make whole. It's got the E in it, not the I, so don't get that confused. It's not saying nice things about one another, but it's, how, it's, it's a picture of 1 Corinthians 12, how the body is united and makes each other whole, makes each other more like Christ. Um, men in equal, or sorry, um, God created male and female as expressions of his image. They are distinct and unique. Men and women are equal, though separate, in roles of marriage, family life, church, things like that. Men are not superior to women. Rather, they have a responsibility to exercise headship over their homes and church family. Authority here is not seen as the right to rule, but rather the privilege to serve. Can and has this been abused in the past? Yes. When you take things to the extreme and you become an authoritarian in your use, for sure it can be abused. Egalitarians, that kind of thought came out more in the 60s and the 70s, feminism push. Uh, they believe more in the equality movements when it comes to social, political, economic, and of course family and church affairs. With, within the church, they, they agree men and women are equal in worth, but then they then go further to say that they are to be considered equal in their roles as well, where there are no gender restrictions on what roles men or women can fill in the home or the church. They believe more so men and women are called or can, men and women can be called to senior pastor roles, saying that the New Testament or Jesus has done away with gender restrictions, how everyone is equal under Christ. Now, both sides use scripture to back up their points. Um, let me see here. And the difficulty lies, I've found, in the discussion of being able to have the discussion while at the same time loving the other person as a brother or sister in Christ, even if you come to different understandings, even if you come to different interpretations of Scripture. And this isn't always easy to do. We can, this is just one issue. You can pick to many issues, which are generally second or third tier, but because we love to argue, we raise it to a first tier level. You know, there's a lot of other things that we can be focused on in our life, in our walk, that we need to be focused on. But sometimes these types of issues become priority. So we want to understand, you know, we want to understand how to keep Christ and the mission the priority. And the Alliance was founded on that type of thinking. 
that can put aside some of the differences that denominations have so that we can be a sending organization, so that we can be a, a spirit-filled, sanctified organization, allowing some of the second or third tier issues to be decided by the local bodies, but focusing on more of the priority type things that the church should be about. So they've been very um, autonomous or big umbrella type of picture when we describe the alliance. But now let's, let's get to the issue that's actually being discussed. So there was a survey that was used back in the fall to kind of get the ball rolling on these topics. And again, the meetings were unfortunately held through Zoom, so it wasn't very personable. So they decided to delay. They're going to do another two years of having these discussions, hoping that they'll be more in person and you can have um, more input that way. And then hopefully, or possibly, the proposals will be brought forward at the next council. So I'm going to try to sum up in a couple of sentences what these pages that I provided you kind of says. First off, there will be no change in male, male eldership. Men will be the elders of the church. We have to understand that first and foremost. That's not going to change. Um, as I look at the church, I want to take this time and opportunity to put in a plug for understanding the role of male eldership and the importance of that. When I look at the rural churches, we see a lack of male leadership. We see not a lot of men in church. So it's hard to understand how we need to have the spiritual head of the homes step up in those roles. Um, you know, so again, men be praying as you are the leader of your house, whether or not God is calling you into this role. Well, the elders have been praying for the last six months and longer, but more intently over the last few months to identify who God might be calling to serve in this role. But back to the discussion, male eldership is not something that is going to change. The issue at hand is titling. Can a woman have the title pastor? Again, a term that is loaded, a term that carries baggage, because it means different things to different people. And the question stems from a line in the bylaws that is quoted from another area. It's quoted from an area that says that the senior pastor or, sorry, that the pastor is an elder. It's in the context talking about the senior pastor role. Then it shifts a few pages later and it talks about all pastors are elders. So as they're quoting, they take the and they replace it with all. So that's the confusion that is being brought out because is that a true statement? Um... Are all pastors elders? Now, in our type of church, this doesn't matter as much. This is a solar, solo lead pastor type of situation. So, of course, the pastor is an elder. However, in a bigger church where maybe you have 30 people on staff and you just have positions for everyone, a worship pastor, a youth pastor, an outreach pastor, a missions pastor, a women's director. You know, when you have 30 people on staff, the title then becomes kind of an issue. And we're seeing this more in our bigger churches. So, 
According to this one line, it seems that all pastors are elders. But are they all on the elder board? No. Are they viewed as elders? Sometimes, especially in the circles that they run in or the influence that they have on people. Again, it depends on the weight that you put on the term pastor. Um, In a church setting, in a rural church setting, pastors can be respected. Barna had a study recently that said pastors were just above car salesmen in terms of respectable positions based on the secular world. Made me feel real good. But that's how the world would view pastors. That's how they would understand the term as well. So again, the baggage and the weight that is held can change geographically, regionally, personally, denominationally, and how we understand this. Um, To throw into the confusion, the term pastor means shepherd in the New Testament. So let's give you some for instances. Sherry, I'm going to pick on you for a minute. Sherry is a, a member of staff here who definitely does pastoral things. She has a shepherding heart, but she does not have the title pastor. When I was a young buck and got into youth ministry, I was automatically given the title pastor before I was even licensed. Didn't sit on governing board, was not on the elder board, but I still had the title because that's what people assumed. The biggest area of debate surrounds Ephesians 4.11, which is talking about the offices in the, in the church. And again, some versions may say shepherd, some versions may say pastor. It'd be interesting, I think, if all of you decided to write a job description for a pastor. I don't know if I want to read all of those. But there's a lot of catch-all things that are included in that. The term pastor is a loaded term that can mean different things to different people. And it causes difficulties in this conversation as well. So originally, they brought this conversation up to try to clear up some of the language within the bylaws, while at the same time having this discussion. Nothing is a foregone conclusion by any means, but it is a topic that can be polarizing. Currently, I would definitely say most churches within the Alliance fully understand the eldership model, male eldership model and that women are free to minister and serve in many ways with elder authority. Another loaded phrase. What does that mean, with elder authority? Well, elder authority means that through the bylaws, a woman could preach and teach with elder authority. A woman could be sent out in the mission field The emphasis all of this comes back to is the leadership that is present within your elder team, which is why we need to be praying for them, to be in the word, to be abiding with Christ so that we can be led well. And if you were not aware, I guess, myself and your elder team fall in the line of complementarianism. 
That's where we fall in line with. That's what our views are, and that's what we practice here. We understand the giftings of everyone being different, and that together we come together to equip the body to glorify Christ, to be unified in him. So if you have questions regarding that, please talk to your elders or to me. Now, there's going to be three proposals that they're going to be looking at. One, they're going to clarify the language of who is an elder to limit that to the senior pastor automatically, not to just all of those that might carry the title pastor. Now, I do agree with that change or that clarification, at least, on what the role of eldership means, um, that it's just not to be given out automatically like that. That being said, it does open up the possibility of the title pastor being used for women. And I think that that is the sticking point that most people that I've talked to uh, have. This is what is leading to a lot of the disagreements, where assumptions are being made, where things are being said from both sides that make this more polarizing. Personally, I think that the title does carry authority, and I would not be in favor of the title pastor for women, stressing that a woman definitely does do pastoral things. But the meaning behind the title, I think, causes more confusion for the body. And again, they would be leaving this up to the local church body to confer titles, rather than coming from the national office. This leads to the next proposal in terms of consecration and ordination. One of the biggest arguments on the egalitarian side is that women go through the same process as men in the ordination process, but yet they are called something different at the end of it. And they're absolutely right about that. The proposal of this section would combine the process of consecration and ordination. Now, I do disagree with this proposal for a few reasons. First, the titling you know, then comes from national as consecrated and ordained ministers. Now, I understand that that's an older term that was given especially to itinerant preachers and stuff like that, but I view us all as a body of priests, as ministers, as those who are called to go, to minister to those around us. So to me, it kind of um, takes some oomph away from the term pastor. Secondly, I think that the history and purpose of consecration of women may have been a little misguided. You know, when you think of ordination, it is with a specific purpose in mind. Um, again, ordination, not being an, one of those terms that's not in the Bible. So it makes it more complicated. But it also is another loaded term. Perhaps we can assume ordination is for the role of senior pastor. And if consecration is held to that same level of purpose of being a pastor, then it only opens the door for a woman to take the role of a senior pastor position. Which I think misses the aim of training in terms of what consecration was to provide. We see all around us churches and denominations where we have women being solo and lead pastors. And again, I think that this goes against the male eldership role that, we see, that I see in Scripture. Because as a pastor, being a senior pastor, I would find it difficult to lead well if I did not have the authority to do so as an elder. Now, I will say, again, this is... These are my views coming from that complementary position as, as I read scripture. 
and many seminaries have different paths, have different ma majors to train both men and women for the different fields that they're going to be going into. I will say that the ordination process was harder than anything that I did in all of seminary. It was, it was rigorous, it was a lot. They, they took the gatekeeping seriously. So, and I appreciated that a lot. But I think that the outcomes or the goals and the processes of ordination need to be clearly understood, maybe defined a little bit better. Again, which I thought was the intent originally of a lot of this discussion is to clarify some of the language. So I'm hoping that that comes out in some of the discussions that are gonna be coming up. Um, you know, so that we can all be on the pa same page as we deal with this issue or this elephant that's been in the room for the last 30 years. The third proposal, again, will look at the titling authority. Again, pushing things down more to the local level, uh, more to the district level, who does licensing anyway. They have a better view of who is going through the system. They have a better picture of who to license and who not to license. But I think that the national office just needs to give a little bit more guidance to the district as they go through the process. So these are the three proposals that will be discussed in the coming roundtable discussions and possibly at the next general council. So as you read through this, pour some time into it, and if you have feedback or input, share with the elders, share with me uh, your thoughts on different things, and we can relay that information through the different discussions that are gonna be happening. And I felt that this was kind of an important thing to do today, to help us all to be a part of this conversation, rather than just assuming different things um, trying to communicate, but I'm trying to communicate better and articulate things better always. But just so we can understand, you know, as it happens in Acts 15, that we can debate and we can talk about things in a healthy way. And to not just think the worst of people because they might think differently than you do. Um, but as we move forward, I'm hoping that our emphasis on missions will improve, um, that we can equip each other to serve Christ through the body, understanding that we are ambassadors who are called to go. Um, and I know that this wasn't a normal, traditional style of sermon for you, but I felt that this was kind of a more practical thing to help us in our communication with one another. And over the coming months, I do plan to do some different styles of sermons in this way, where it'll be more practical. And for some of you, I'll just warn you now, it might get uncomfortable for you, and I understand that. But my heart and my desire is to help us to grow closer to Christ, to give us opportunities to do just that. So I'm not gonna tell you the weeks that I'm gonna change things up because I'm afraid you won't show up. <laughs> but just know that I'm excited about the next year and what the Lord is gonna to show us, especially through that next sermon series. Um, when we talk about things of the spirit, the spiritual gifts, and what we do now after we get through Luke, understanding what God, who God is, what God has done through Jesus, what are we to do with that knowledge as a church? How are we to use that? That's the direction that we're going to be going in the next sermon series. But again, um, just thank you for your time and listening, and if you have more questions, feel free to, to ask me that afterwards. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we look to your word, 
we see moments of division, we see moments of debate, we see conferences that happen in the early church. And Lord, as we continue in this life, we realize that we too are people that are trying to grow closer to you. That, Lord, I, I definitely don't have a bent on the full knowledge of your truth and revelation. And Lord, I grow each and every day, and I'm so excited for that. I thank you for how you reveal yourself to me in, in word and prayer through your spirit, Lord. I'm so excited how I, I'm just in awe, Lord, how I see you working in others' lives. Lord, even if we don't always see you working, Lord, you are there. I pray that you would break through some of our selfishness and stubbornness and that we can find rest in your abiding presence. Lord, I thank you for your spirit who directs us. And I pray for discernment uh, as a body locally, as individuals, but as a denomination as well, as we go through some of these topics, that you would help to guide and direct us so that we can represent you well to a bro broken and lost world that needs to hear your truth. Lord, I pray a blessing on those missionaries that are going to be going out this year. Lord, to unreached people groups, to new areas. Lord, there's a lot of work ahead of them, but they go in your spirit, Lord. They go with your word. I pray for protection. I pray for encouragement. I pray for opportunities. And Lord, as a body here, I pray that you would help us to take hold of a strong vision, whether it's here locally, whether it's globally, whether it's regionally. Just a vision of how we can spread your gospel message and the different ways that we can do that so that we can have ownership of that, Lord. Lord, we ask for your direction and guidance. Not our own ways, not in our own power. For it's only through you that hearts are changed. Use us as we are able and equipped to take your word, to be the feet that take the gospel and the good news to those that need to hear it. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.